Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Today on the Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast is another rising star in the industry. Here to break down the East Division leading Washington Capitals is Samantha Pell of the Washington Post. Samantha, what's happening? Not a lot, just here on Long Island, uh, getting ready for this Caps-Isles game tonight. Uh, But yeah, everything's been going good. So able to move around, I mentioned we were talking off air. I'm a little confined to the basement this year, but I think you're li- living a different world, hotel to hotel room um, and different rink to different rink. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. But first, we need to clear the air on one thing because we're just meeting each other okay. now. What's your beef with overtime? So long story short, I don't really have a beef with overtime. I think it's great. I think it's fun for the game. Like, who doesn't want to see three-on-three hockey? Um Last season, the Capitals, I think, opened their season. It was like three or the first four games of their season went into OT. And everyone was like, why are they playing so many overtime games? This is ridiculous. And they were like, oh, well, what's different about this team this year? Oh, well, Sam is covering this team for the first time. Uh, so it must be her fault. So I get the blame for all the overtimes. And now we're just turning it into a little bit of, yeah, I mean, I think overtimes are fun. But also when I'm on deadline working for the post, uh, we do need a story in the paper. So overtime can sometime uh, push it a little bit to the edge there. Yeah, I mean, it's not great for rewrites, but I mean, it's only five minutes. It's usually the most exciting part of the game. So, you know, I I think uh, overtime, if you're not working in the newspaper industry, is probably a good thing for everyone. The shootout, though. The shootout, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we had a minor rescheduling, um, just 15 minutes, because you had to take what I assume is one of many hundred COVID tests yeah. this year. Uh, are you getting tired of those or what? I mean, it's getting, yeah, it's getting there. I'm getting my first shot of the vaccine actually tomorrow afternoon uh, when I go back to awesome. DC. So um, hopefully that'll be a thing of the past soon. But yeah, COVID tests are basically a every few days type of thing since I'm traveling, um, you know, following the team to all these different cities. Obviously it helps that they're only in the East. I can't imagine, you know, doing it in the West or in Canada. Like that just seems crazy to me um, but definitely in the east it's been a lot easier with you know driving trains etc so your different reality includes you know trains cars <laughs> hotel rooms different arenas and yeah. the vaccination which is great it's something uh we're not quite there yet in canada but uh we'll get there eventually uh we'll also get to capitals eventually but i am going to try and get you to talk about yourself a little bit i hope you're okay with that okay yeah that's fine <laughs> Okay, so I may watch too much television. In fact, I do watch too much television. I probably watched too much part in the interruption when I was younger as well. The odd movie may be contributing to this, but I have this exaggerated thing in my mind about the Washington Post being this immensely prestigious newsroom with all these brilliant people changing the world. So I have to ask, how intimidating was it to walk into that newsroom for the first time? 
I think it's honestly intimidating every single time I used to go in the newsroom. <laughs> like I was an intern at the Post when I first walked in. I don't really think I knew what I was getting myself into. I was like, oh, it's an internship. I'm right out of college. Obviously, I know the Post and how prestigious it is, but I'm not exactly sure, you know, what's going to happen. And then I think meeting everyone like a David Farenthold or an Eli Saslow or some of these really big names that you only hear and you read about and then you're actually in the same building as them, I think is pretty crazy. But yeah, I think everyone at the Post kind of has that same rush feeling of we all want to do our best work because we know that we work for the Washington Post and we represent the Post and it's such a big pillar in the newspaper industry. But mm -hmm. yeah, I I think it was definitely like a shell shock moment going there. And I think every single time I get in that building, it's it's definitely, a, I would say it's an honor. It's a blessing to work for the Post. Was this the ideal when you, you know, started on the sports journalism path, it, be it, you know, hockey, capitals, uh, working for the Washington Post? Like what, when you first started along this path, what was, you know, the thing that you were uh, envisioning, I guess, in your mind? Yeah, actually, I never even watched hockey until I got to the post. Uh, I grew up in Seattle, so we didn't really know hockey. I watched, you know, the Seahawks, the Mariners, the Storm, the Sonics. That was what I grew up with. Um, and then, yeah, I got to the post. I was interning. They had me do a bunch of different sports, kind of threw me into a bunch of different things. And I went to a Capitals development camp and was like, oh, I guess I'll try hockey. Um, I just kind of fell into it. Now, obviously, I love hockey. I love the sport. I can't imagine um, you know, watching anything else, really. I feel like I can't even watch the NFL or baseball now just because I think now it's slow. And now I just like kind of the speed of the game and keeping up with things. But, you know, people ask me all the time what my dream job is. And honestly, most of the times I say, I think I'm in it right now just because I love, I don't know, the day-to-day -day stuff, following a team, knowing an entire beat, knowing players and coaches. But no, when I got into it, long story short, I had no clue I wanted to do hockey, no clue I wanted to work for the Post. I just knew I liked sports and I wanted to write about them. Quick aside, since you mentioned you're from Seattle, how big are the Kraken going to be in the Pacific Northwest? I think they're going to be huge. Like even my parents who have watched zero hockey until I started covering hockey were like, should we go to games? Like they're like, should we be season ticket holders? Like should, is this going to be a thing? But I think the city misses the Sonics so much. They miss the NBA. They miss that action that they're immediately going to gravitate towards the NHL. And I think it's going to be a great stop um, for all teams going there. So you mentioned Seattle, you mentioned Washington. The middle stop between those two was Arizona State University in Tempe, Arizona. I got to know what's going on over there at ASU. It seems more often than not, I'm seeing reporters in big roles with Cronkite underscore ASU in their Twitter description. In my Canadian bubble, I'm like kind of I just assume that all U.S. reporters went to Syracuse. That's just something that's in my head. I mean, uh, but is there another yeah. power being built down there in Tempe? Yeah, I think people used to joke that Cronkite was like the Syracuse of the West. Uh, just because the program, it's pretty new, but it's very focused on sports. You can get, I got a sports journalism bachelor's degree there, which I think is pretty interesting and different. But since they're in the Pac-12, since they have a big football program, basketball program, they're also located right, you know, next to the Diamondbacks and the Suns and the Cardinals and, you know, the Coyotes. So they have all these major sports basically right next to campus. So I think it kind of lends itself to letting, you know, a lot of sports reporters cover sports in college and that's what a lot of us did we got to cover spring training um you know final fours were there super bowls were there when i was in college so yeah i think cronkite is just really good about multimedia and really i guess getting people's foot in the door and if you don't want to go all the way to syracuse um, why not come to arizona state where it's sunny and you have a lot of sports yeah i've been in that area a time or two and it seems like the absolute dream from a university perspective uh <laughs> and i think that was only reinforced reinforced recently with the inclusion of a hockey program there. You mentioned that your introduction was with the Capitals. 
Um, but but did you know people that covered uh, the Sun Devils hockey program? And, and how has that sort of evolved, um, I guess, since you first started there at ASU? Yeah, when I, so the hockey program really wasn't there when I was at ASU. I remember one of my friends, Justin Emerson, who now covers um, the Golden Knights there in Vegas, I believe that he wrote a thesis about why Arizona State should get a hockey team. And that was like his kind of thesis project. And it ultimately turned into ASU getting a hockey team um, and building that up. So I remember that was probably my last year. So I never got to witness, you know, Sun Devil hockey. Now, obviously it's huge there. You have Austin Matthews, you know, chipping in and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's been great for the sport. I think it's really cool. I think it's a really good recruiting tool um, for ASU to kind of get all these hockey kids down in Arizona and good on Austin for kind of helping out there. But yeah, I think it's great. um, And I'm excited to see where that program goes. So the Capitals beat has belonged to you for, this is your second season, I believe, but I know you were involved before that. So I'm wondering what the first Capitals related event you covered was and what your assignment was when the team won the Stanley Cup in 2018. I think one of my first assignments, so aside from Dev Camp, I think I was helping to fill in. I went on the Western Canadian road trip. I believe it was the year I believe it was the year that they won the cup, but it was earlier. And I think one of my first stories, I think Canada just legalized weed. Um, or decriminalize it or something. And I, I think one of my first stories was like to ask players about that um, and what they thought about it. And I think that was like my introduction. And then it was writing a story about the Roxy in Vancouver. And those were like my <laughs> first two big stories. And I remember the PR person was like, okay, like this is what you're doing when you're covering the team. Like you're writing gamers, but also like you're covering lead and you're covering like a really famous, like, you know, bar after hours in Vancouver. Right. But um, yeah, I think those were the very first two stories I really like made a name for myself on and then I kind of went from there but as far as the cup you know I went to Tampa and helped cover that series I kind of covered it from Tampa's point of view and a little bit of caps and then I didn't travel to Las Vegas when they went to go in the cup but I covered all those home games so they're just kind of helping out here and there is really an all hands on deck situation for the post obviously the caps have been waiting for that for a really long time and wanted to capitalize that and get as many people on it as possible. So you took over for Isabel Kershedian. I hope I said that correctly. Um, and there have been others that have been contributing to Capitals coverage over the year. I believe Dan Steinberg of the Washington Post interviewed Dark Guy. Uh, and I was in Washington for that game. I don't know if yeah. you remember Dark Guy. But I came home and my boss was very, very disappointed that I wasn't the one to write about Dark Guy, being that he was a Leaf fan in Washington. Yes. So I'm sorry, Dan, again. Uh, but anyway, uh, with all the people that have, um, contributed to Washington Capitals coverage over the years. I'm wondering what bits of advice, maybe capital specific advice was passed down to you and has maybe stayed with you with the people that you've overlapped with a little bit. Yeah, I, well, I think it's super interesting at the Post because they tend to rotate us around different beat writers to different sports every three to four years. So you could spend four years covering the Capitals and four years covering the Wizards and four years covering um, you know, the Washington football team. And so they like to have new faces basically every, you know, three to four years just to rotate new people in. Now that can obviously change in the future, but I just know that's what I was told when I got this job. And so I think it's been really interesting to hear other people's point of view about your beat of, oh, like, I think this is really interesting. Or I don't know if you thought of this from this perspective, but when I was covering the beat, I did this. Um, So it seems like a lot of people can chime in and kind of chip in their thoughts of what maybe we did in the past versus what's happening now. But I would say, you know, Isabel became one of my best friends when I first came to the post. And so she kind of helped me learn hockey along the way. So I have a lot um, of credit to give to her for where I'm at. But I think her biggest thing was trust your gut, trust your instinct. 
um, if you know you're the one covering the team every single day, you're the one around them, and so you're ultimately going to get the final call on a lot of things of what you think is newsworthy or what stories you think are important, and kind of don't you know be nervous about saying your opinion or this is what we should do. So I think that's been the biggest advice: is just trust your gut, know that what you're seeing on the ice is correct, um, and don't doubt it. Last broad stroke here. Uh, I'm wondering how the Capitals Cup Championship. Uh, and if it did at all change the team's position sort of in the DC sports hierarchy? Yeah, I think I think the Capitals were kind of pretty much always up there a little bit, but then during their cup run, I think it was the bandwagon fans, everyone's jumping on, right? They haven't won a championship in, you know, X amount of years. Um, but overall, I think, you know, the NFL is still going to be one of the, probably the number one, even though they're maybe not doing as well, but I think the NFL will always draw that in DC. I think the Nationals, obviously, after they won the World Series was big, but I mean, baseball in D.C. is so huge because it's right in the city. Everyone goes after work. It's, you know, a good ballpark. It's new. Um, they've built up a lot of stuff there at Navy Yard where they're at. So, yeah, I would say the Caps are pretty up there. I think we've seen different like polls. I know the Athletic has done kind of those different polls and where all these teams are at, but I would say it definitely boosted them up. I still don't think they're number one in D.C. Um, they're definitely up there. No, uh, not number one. I mean, that's going to be tough, obviously. But uh, would Alex Ovechkin maybe rate higher than perhaps the team does? You know what I mean? Like in terms yeah. of like superstar status? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, more people, if they saw Alex Ovechkin walking down the street, wouldn't know that's Alex Ovechkin versus like John Carlson, um, who is a big name in and of itself. But like, you know, if you put John and Ovi in a room, I think more people are going to know who Ovi is. Um, so yeah, he definitely brings you know, kind of a lot to the sport. Obviously his goal chase trying to catch Gretzky has a lot of people's attention. So yeah, definitely DC is in love with Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> okay, let's get to those capitals. As mentioned, uh, first place in the Mass Mutual East Division. I don't know why I said Mass Mutual. That was, that was a lot. Um, but what's that? So that was a lot. I, was like, I don't think that I've even lot. said that yet. No, that doesn't make it into copy <laughs> over there at the Washington Post, eh? Um, so you know, first place. Uh, I don't know if ever, I don't know if you were thinking that, I don't know if the majority of people are thinking that, but you know, they're in, they're obviously in a dogfight for um, the division title, whatever that is ultimately worth at the end of the year. Um, but has this team exceeded your expectations uh, to this point? You know, I think they have. I think I went into the year, honestly, thinking this team could be very, very good. They're veteran experience. They had a really I thought a lot of good off-season additions. You had Peter Laviolette to the mix. I thought a new coaching staff was exactly kind of what this team needed. Um, but there was also a part of me of 50% that was like, you know what, they could maybe just kind of flame out. Um, it seems like a lot of changes, you know, from the get-go, a lot of new systems, a shortened training camp, you know, COVID, just the whole situation. It's an older team. How are they going to perform? Um, so yeah, I think overall they've exceeded my expectations. I think a lot should be said about Peter Laviolette and what he's done with this team. I don't know if this team would be top beast um, if Peter Laviolette wasn't here and Kevin McCarthy wasn't here, but I just think there's a way about him. There's a, I don't know if this is the right word, an energy, a vibe about him that I think has really brought this team together and really has, I don't know, has made them all focus on the same things. Pulling on the same rope is what he says a lot. Um, so yeah, definitely exceeded expectations. We'll see how the rest of the season goes, but it's a really tough month of April for the Cavs to play yeah, Anders a lot, Boston a lot. So it's going to be a tough stretch uh, to close out the regular season. It's interesting uh, bringing up Peter Laviolette. It's hard to put your finger on exactly what maybe his impact is. And I think it's probably more challenging because 
you're not out, you know, you know, you're not hanging on his shoulder and asking him <laughs> questions anymore because of the, the, the reality that we're in. Um, but you mentioned that there needed to be a change and it, it seemed very obvious with Todd Reardon by the end, who was somewhat unceremoniously let go at, at the end of the bubble mm-hmm. season uh, disappointment. But if there is something that Laviolette has installed that Reardon could it, couldn't, what do you think that would be? I think, I guess two parts. One, just from a personal standpoint, it's accountability. I think he mm-hmm. comes in with a cup already under his belt. He has so much experience. They know what he's done in his resume. Also bringing Kevin McCarthy with him, I think, has helped the blue line immensely. I think their strides better than they were last year, even the last two years. And I just think, yeah, he's been able to hold players accountable and really, um, I guess, overall has forced them to be leaders on this team. Obviously, we know Alex Ovechkin's a leader and John Carlson's a leader and Nicholas Backstrom, but I think having them all work together, but also including kind of these new offseason additions and Zendaya Chara um, has really helped the group. I think systematically, it's it's a lot tighter. It's a lot cleaner. Uh, he focuses so much on defense. He scratched Jacob Verana for two games because he felt like his compete level wasn't high enough. I'm not sure a lot of coaches would do that at this point in the season. Um, it came after an eight to four loss to the Islanders. The whole team just wasn't really there. And I think Laviolette felt like he needed to make a change. And again, I just, I'm just not sure how many coaches in his position would do that. Um, so yeah, I think accountability and then just structurally sound has been the two major things for this team. Accountability is an interesting point. Um, as someone who doesn't know, you know, every detail of the last two seasons for the Washington Capitals, I found myself jumping to conclusions watching this team in the playoffs or the last two playoffs, uh, you know, losses to the Hurricanes and the Islanders. I didn't see the same inspired team that won the Stanley Cup the previous season. I think some of that had to do with the coach. Maybe some of that had to do with fatigue the year after winning the Stanley Cup. Maybe that had to do with, you know, being in the bubble and not wanting to be in the bubble. There's a lot of contributing factors here. But I guess I'll ask you, was that a valid, you know, assessment at the time that this wasn't the same inspired team, that the Capitals didn't have the same fire? And if so, do you do you find that this team is rejuvenated to a certain extent this year with sort of an attitude shift under a new coach and under, you know, new ambitions? Yeah, I definitely think just talking about this year, I think the attitude definitely took some time maybe to shift a bit. I think maybe everyone was a little, okay, we know who Peter Laviolette is and what he brings and his resume, but we have to adjust to him and he has to adjust to us. And then, you know, the COVID protocols hit the Capitals. Ilya Samsonov has a positive test at sidelines, Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and Orlov and Samsonov for, you know, a good amount of time. And it felt like this team was always just trying to catch up and just kind of stay in the mix. All of a sudden, Ovechkin goes on a heater, has 11 goals in 11 games. Kuznetsov has, I think, 12 points in 10 games. And it felt like this team was really getting itself together. I think Kuznetsov made a point that he finally felt, this probably was like 10 games ago, that he felt like he had finally understood what Laviolette wanted from him and vice versa. And everything was starting to click. So I think while, you know, you can get your systems down and understand everything, it really took this team probably till maybe the midpoint to understand everyone's roles and positions and for everyone to get healthy. You know, Tom Wilson got suspended for seven games. Lars Eller was out for seven games with an injury. And now they're all finally back together. Um, and maybe we'll close out this stretch here. But going back to your first question about, you know, the last two years, maybe uninspired. I think the team has talked a lot about how fatigue was a pretty big factor after that first mm-hmm. cup run year. Um, they had a good off season celebrating and, you know, doing all those fun things, you know, celebrating in the fountains like we saw, but 
I think they didn't admit it in year, but after they were saying, yeah, we, we were fatigued, like it was a long summer and maybe we just didn't produce our best. The bubble situation I think was maybe another fatigue thing. I think for a veteran group coming back, you're in the middle of a pandemic. Do you really wanna be in a bubble situation? I don't think maybe some of the reports were accurate of, you know, they were partying and all that stuff. Um, but I definitely think there was a sense of, this is an older veteran group with a lot of families in a pandemic and it just seemed very uninspired hockey. You mentioned the fatigue of the year after. I mean, it kind of, watching that game, I believe it was game seven versus Carolina, where it was almost like they made the decision that it wasn't worth it. I, I mean, like that is jumping to a conclusion, but like that's sort of how it looked. And I think it's, you're not gonna admit that at the time, you're not gonna talk about it at yeah. the time, but it's interesting now in hindsight, um, you know, getting that perspective from you. Uh, speaking of fatigue, are you dealing with any East division fatigue? Is the fan base dealing with that? Is the team dealing with, you know, sort of the tired element of playing the same teams over and over and over again? I think sort of, I think once, you know, I write my lineup for like the Devils for the eighth time this season and I'm in New York, I'm like, <laughs> okay, I think I've seen this before. Um, but yeah, like they just finished their season sweep of the Devils. They went 8-0-0, which is kind of crazy for any franchise to do that um, against another opponent. But yeah, I think, you know, players sometimes liken it to the playoffs and how it's kind of fun, you know, playing these two game sets. But I think playing the same team over and over and over again, I think now they're starting to think about what it would be like to play a Tampa. What would it be like to play a Carolina? And you're not going to yeah. know how you match up until, I'm not going to say till it's too late, but kind of till it's too late, right? Till you're put in a playoff situation where you haven't really been paying attention to them all season because you're too busy on Matt Barzal and the Islanders eight times. Um, so yeah. it's something been interesting, I think. I don't think they're at the fatigue point yet. I think the fatigue part more comes from, you know, 56 games and how many days they've had to play. Um, but yeah, I think like tonight, I think Nick Dowd said it's going to be an emotional game. It's just going to be another one of those kind of measuring stick games. So we'll see how everything goes. But yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, motivation is a, is a huge, you know, factor, I think, because, yeah, you know, they just got embarrassed by the Islanders, I believe, three games ago and haven't mm -hmm. played them since. I think it was two wins against the Devils since. And, and I see why you'd want to come back, but there's so there's so little to actually be to play for right now. Like you you know you're going to be in the playoffs. You know you're not going to have much of a home ice advantage. All that stuff doesn't seem to matter all that much, and you have to find a way to get your own uh, motivation up. So I think losing in an eight four game, I think it was to the Islanders, and getting back and being able to play them sooner than later might actually be a helpful thing. Yeah, I definitely think so. It's kind of that bounce back mentality of, okay, we went and played the Devils twice and now we're going to play the Islanders in this kind of short game stretch. And I think maybe it will help them, you know, honestly, in the playoffs to know that they can bounce back or they can kind of, you know, fight it out a little bit against a team like this. And who knows where the Capitals and the Islanders will end up um, in the standings here, but maybe they do meet in the first round or, you know, is it going to be the Penguins or is it going to be Boston? Like there's just so many, so I think moving parts, especially in the East that everyone is very close together that I think the Capitals are going to take any chance to kind of get to know their opponent more and kind of look forward to the playoffs. I may have spoken a little bit too soon there with it not mattering home ice advantage or not, because unlike, you know, Canadian ranks, there might actually be fans in uh, ranks in the United States and many uh, there already are fans in, in ranks. Uh, is there any update on, on what's going to happen in Washington in terms of, of fans being in the stands, either, you know, in the short term or come playoff time? Yeah, in the short term, the city actually came out with a statement yesterday saying that they think that there's going to be no fans in attendance for any Capitals games mm -hmm. for the rest of the regular season. Um, you know, it seems like the ownership group that owns the Capitals and the Wizards 
are kind of, they're kind of frustrated with the city. They think that they've done everything that they need to do from a health standpoint. They only want 10% capacity in Capital One Arena. They feel like they've done everything possible and the city is still saying no. Um, you know, obviously DC is very different than other cities. They've been maybe more cautious than other cities. They've opened, you know, the nationals, I believe are allowed to have 5,000 fans in their outdoor arena. DC United soccer is allowed to have fans in their outdoor arena. It's just the indoor part. Um, that the city's a little wary about, but you're right, they're the last team in the East to not have fans, and they don't think they're going to get fans for the rest of the regular season. Obviously, playoffs are going to be their number one priority, but again, it's still very much in the air. That would be a, a pretty sizable disadvantage uh, if they weren't able to get those fans, um, and that might be a huge storyline by that point, but a huge storyline right now and you know, from the start of the season has been goaltending with the Capitals. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Braden Holby era ending, uh, Henrik Lundqvist having to leave the Capitals after a heart condition was discovered before he was able to uh, break camp with the team. And now two pretty experienced, inexperienced rather, netminers have been sort of volleyballing the starters roll back and forth, uh, at least of late. So when it comes down to it, whose net is this going to be, do you think? It's a really good question because I'm not sure if the Capitals have their goalie that's going to be number one in net come postseason. I think, you know, the trade deadlines on Monday, I think Ryan McClellan, I would assume, is looking for a veteran goaltender. You know, that doesn't mean that he's going to get a veteran goaltender or he's going to like the deal that goes back his way. But I think the Capitals at least have to look. Um, these two goalies have no playoff experience. Elias Samsonov, I don't believe, has started more than two games um, in his entire career. Obviously, Vanacek has started more because he's had to fill in for Samsonov early this season. But it seems like Peter Laviolette is comfortable not choosing one right now. He's kind of letting mm -hmm. them go back and forth. You know, Vanacek starts tonight against the Islanders. It seems like it would be a good challenge for Samsonov just to kind of get him in there. But he seems like he's still going back and forth. So if I had to guess, I would say Elias Samsonov's in net. Um, but that's unless they get some veteran. And that would require kind of giving up a lot um, from the Capitals' perspective. It's been a tough year for Samsonov, uh, uh, most recently taking that shot from TJ Oshie, which was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but it, it should be interesting. I mean, uh, obviously the uh, the trade deadline, it's it's the conditions aren't great for teams that are buying or selling. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Capitals are able to do there, if in fact they are uh, interested in getting another veteran goaltender. Uh, it's taken a little, I mean, we mentioned Ovechkin earlier, but it's taken mm -hmm. us a little bit of time to get to him, at least with this Capitals discussion. Uh, and this guy's a marvel. I mean, he's 35 years old now, uh, incredibly. In the lineup every night when he's following COVID protocol, still scoring goals, a physical freak. What, what do you make of the enduring power of this guy? So it's kind of crazy to me because, like I said before, I didn't watch any hockey. I didn't really follow hockey. Honestly, didn't know who Alex Ovechkin was before I went mm -hmm. to Cap you know, and started actually covering them in the Stanley Cup run. Um, but now watching him every single day, seeing him day to day at practices, at skates, it's just, honestly, it's the energy that he brings, which sounds so cliche, but it's the how much fun he has on the ice, how much he actually loves scoring goals, how much he loves seeing his teammates score goals. It just seems like that drive and that fire maybe won't go away in the near future. I think a lot of people always ask, oh, do you think that he can catch Gretzky? And Usually my answer is, I think he's going to catch Gretzky if he wants to catch Gretzky. I think this is all about mm -hmm. him. It's motivation. It's what does he want to do? Does he feel like, you know, he's healthy enough and, you know, physically ready enough to do that? Um, and at this point, I think he does. Um, you know, like I said, at one point in the season, he had 11 goals in 11 games. He really felt like he was back to form. Um, it seemed like he had maybe been dealing with some little injuries or was just a little bit banged up, maybe right after COVID. Um, but overall, yeah, I think 
he did really good. <laughs> that was a really good decision by him uh, to keep on playing. Doing well. Um, as long as he's scoring goals, we're going to be monitoring his totals closely. I actually wrote about Ovechkin last week. The fact that he was actually limited to eight goals over the course of 365 days, obviously that was mostly due to a pandemic, but also in part because of a little bit of a slow start to the season. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he lost 40 games, obviously with the two shortened seasons, right. uh, which would amount to about 25 goals. You mentioned you think he can play as long, he, he's going to get there as long as he wants to, to, to catch Gretzky. Um, but, but is there a fact, is there, do you think we're going to be looking back at this like pandemic and thinking, well, that's, that's what ultimately cost him perhaps? Like, is there, is there that chance? I think so. You know, I think at the end of last season, I think people felt like he almost had, he almost had 50 goals again last season. They felt like he was maybe kind of robbed a little bit. You look at this season, 56 games. I I do think that if he doesn't catch him, people are going to maybe blame this. They're going to blame, you know, the first year of his career in the NHL. I think there's a lot of places that they're going to place blame in. Um, But yeah, overall, I mean, if Alex can do it, he's going to do it. But I definitely think this pandemic did not help him. I believe he's a UFA this summer. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's uh, there's some big negotiations that have to uh, happen this summer with McClellan and himself. How do you think the situation is going to resolve itself with uh, Ovechkin approaching unrestricted status? You know, I think the message all along, even from the beginning of the season, was Alex was comfortable heading into the season. The Capitals were comfortable heading into the season without a contract. They've said both sides, Brian McClellan has said the Capitals really want Ovechkin to stay. Ovechkin said, I want to stay in Washington. So I think both sides have a mutual understanding of they want to stay, they want to make something happen, but um, they've pushed off talks. Basically, they said last time we chatted until April, this will probably be to the end of the season. Um, But everyone feels comfortable with where they're at. Brian McClellan says it's just about finding the right number. It's about finding the right term. It's about finding the right deal for the entire team. Obviously, now that we're in a pandemic and, you know, the salary cap and how that's going to work. But overall, everyone feels comfortable. So at this moment, it seems like Alex Ovechkin will be staying in Washington. Let's hope so. Uh, Another big storyline this year, um, and I guess maybe this is the last of them in terms of uh, storylines at least entering the season was the fact that Zdeno Chara was all of a sudden on this team, the the towering defenseman who was playing third pairing minutes. Uh, I wonder how well he's fit in into all this in terms of you know his his leadership abilities, his his presence, all of that from a non hockey side, and then obviously how's he faring from a hockey perspective in the role that he's in. Definitely from a non hockey side, he pretty much acts as another coach, I would say, on the room and on the ice. You know, Kevin McCarthy is in charge of the defense now in Washington, and I was chatting with him, and he basically was like, yeah, it's nice knowing that there's a guy like Chara in the room who, you know, can kind of voice the same things I'm voicing and also has a really big influence on, you know, the other guys in the room. I think, you know, John Carlson has obviously been here for a very long time, and um, he can even still glean things from Chara. I think Nick Jensen has played his best hockey when he's with Sindano Chara on the defensive pairing, and there's um, very little coincidence that Jensen and Char are playing well when they're together. So I think overall, just from a non-hockey perspective, he's a great leader in the room. He cares. He really wants everyone to do well. He just seems like when, everyone, when he talks, everyone listens. Um, that's been kind of the main thing that the Capitals have said about him. I think on the ice hockey-wise, he's on the third defensive pairing. So he's not getting, you know, top four minutes or anything like that. But he is getting a lot of ice time. You know, he plays on the PK. Um, He was getting some power play minutes very early on, but those went away as the season uh, continued. But yeah, I think, you know, I think 
he's great for the Capitals. I think he really adds a lot of presence there. And I think especially come playoff time, um, they're going to need him. And they have so many defensemen that I think he just fits in really well with this team. There have been some really high performers uh, with the Capitals this year. There's also been some players that have left something to be desired. I, I suppose that's the case with every team. Um, but if the Capitals are going to achieve their potential this year, who do they need more from? That's a good question. I think... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I guess two parts. I think if Genny Kuznetsov has played really great hockey, um, not so much maybe in the last couple of games, but has been playing really good hockey. But I think if the Capitals want to go out and they want to make a run at it, he's going to have to stay consistent. He's going to have to stay on that top line or second line with Ovechkin um, or maybe even centering like a Wilson and a Verona. But mm-hmm. the other guy would probably be Jacob Verona. He was healthy scratch, you know, the last two games. He's back in the lineup tonight against the Islanders. But he hasn't scored in 11 games. Um, it just seems like his production hasn't gotten up to par to where the team wants him to be. And I think if they could just add in a couple more goals, some more offensive abilities from Verona, I think they turn out to be a very well-rounded team. Uh, I think overall, yeah, I would say definitely Kuznetsov and Verona. You could even add Tom Wilson to the mix there. But um, Kuznetsov, I think, has always been the key for this team, um, especially when I mean, we all saw it in the cup run, but especially again this season. Okay, two more for you, Samantha, and then I'll let you go. Um, We mentioned the possibility of potentially the Capitals adding a veteran goaltender to sort of solidify things or help solidify things, perhaps push for the number one role. Um, But should there, you know, we have the trade deadline approaching. I believe we are less than a week away now. Um, Should they be pursuing any other improvements uh, to gear up for a Stanley Cup run? Or is goaltending, you know, the main and only priority? Yeah, you know, I think about a month ago, Brian McClellan was like, look, I think it's goaltending. You know, he's always acquired a defenseman at the trade deadline. I think it was six years in a row now that he's added a defenseman. Um, Now I think center depth is pretty important for this team. We kind of saw with his depth out for a bit. TJ Oshie had to fill in at center. Lars Eller was out for seven games. TJ Oshie again had to fill in um, at center. And so overall, I think this team would love kind of a solidified number three. Um, center depth just in case something does happen again I think this team I'm not going to say it's injury prone uh, but sometimes very timely injuries can happen right before the playoffs and they really don't have anyone to kind of back them up I think that's when a trade might come into play for you know if you're going to trade a winger you're going to trade some prospects for a really good center depth Um, but yeah I would say either a veteran goaltender or someone who could fill in um, probably a third line center role for the Capitals. Okay, last one for you. They swept the New Jersey Devils with, was it eight wins in zero? It was eight, or eight oh, and two? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's absolutely, yeah. Like, one, of my, one of my theories this year is that we've been like sort of um, not talking about matchups being a thing. Like you, mm-hmm. when you see a team beat one team eight times, like that there's clearly there's some sort of competitive advantage, not just talent, but the way they play probably okay. factors into this. So I, I'll preface the question with that. Is there 
you know, they're not going to be taking on New Jersey in the playoffs because they're not going to make the playoffs anytime soon. But is there a best matchup for Washington among the possible playoff teams in the East Division? And is there a worse matchup that, you know, they fans or themselves would probably want to avoid? I think, I mean, the Islanders have got to be up there as the team that the Capitals do not want to look at. Um, mm -hmm. I think if a dark horse Rangers somehow climb their way back up, the Capitals have not fared well at all against the Rangers this season. I think, you know, you're maybe a bit more evenly matched with a Pittsburgh or a Boston, just the way that they've been lining up. I think Pittsburgh, I think is maybe posed to go on a bit of a run here in April, just with their schedule and how things are finally meshing for them. Um, but honestly, I think all these teams are pretty hard in the East for the Cavs. They've played really well against most of them, but they've also had some pretty, you know, unfortunate games against all of them. I think um, they've struggled a lot. They really haven't been able to put together a full 60-minute game this season against any team. So I think it'll be really interesting come playoff time. But yeah, I would definitely say the Islanders, they, I don't think they want any part of, um, at least for the first round. I mean, I'd be avoiding the, another Barry Trotz <laughs> revenge series as well. Yeah. Uh, Samantha, this is a lot of fun. I appreciate you letting me ask questions about you and you answering <laughs> questions about the Capitals as well. Uh, maybe we can do this again down the road if the Capitals, you know, get to the Final Four. Maybe there's a matchup with the Toronto Maple Leafs down the stretch. That would be fun. And I could uh, maybe find another dark guy for this. Here we go. I mean, that'd be great. I've had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. 